Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. I'm sure thankful for a church with lots of children's volunteers. We couldn't do it without you. Um, And so if you volunteer in our children's ministry, thank you so very much. We love you. We are grateful for you. And uh, one day, here's what I know. One day, we might not have a big youth group right now, but one day we're going to grow one. These kids are going to grow up and graduate them right on into a youth group. And it's going to be a great, great thing. So we look forward to that. And one day we can't wait till all these little hearts that have been softened by God's Holy Spirit are going to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And each one of these little ones are going to become followers of Jesus. That is going to be an exciting day. Amen? Amen. Y'all didn't seem as excited about that as I did. Okay. I'm excited about it. Um, If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, 1 to 10. And today we're going to look at the fruit of faith. So we've been talking about this idea of uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. That's Him, God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So for the past handful of weeks, we've been saying, okay, Ryan, if that's true, and faith is what pleases God, what kind of faith is the kind of faith that pleases Him? That's the kind of faith that I want to live. And so we've mentioned a number of things, persistent faith, humble faith, childlike faith, and on and on. And last week, uh, last week we were, the week before we looked at that we have been saved by grace through faith, and then we looked at blind faith, that idea of blind faith, that um, blind Bartimaeus could see Jesus where lots of people had missed Him. Today, we're going to be looking at the fruit of faith. Now, how many of you have ever had a garden? You've had a garden. Raise a hand. All right. How many of you don't? How many of you are green thumbers out there? Anybody? Any green thumbers? I'm married to a green thumber. I'm a brown thumber. Where are my brown thumbers at? You plant it, I'll kill it, right? That's my motto. Uh, So I don't touch much stuff in the garden unless Liz says water it. And then I say, tell me when to start, tell me when to stop. Because I don't want to be responsible for your tomato plants or whatever they are. Now, but, so we have been having a super fun time on, uh, we call it the Perry Homestead. uh, Because we've had uh, blueberries come in. We've had blackberries going right now. We had some raspberries this year. Apples are about to come. Our peaches didn't work so hot. But now we've got all kinds of vegetables in our garden. We, the biggest, reddest tomatoes we've ever seen and eaten have just been so good. Uh squash and cucumbers and zucchini and all these things that we have been eating uh, out of our garden. It's just been a ton of fun. Here's what I love about watching Liz Garden. You you notice how I said that, right? Watching Liz Garden. I remember back uh, in the spring, it was still cold outside. She she planted, she began to take over our kitchen. Uh, We got, I, I bought her a greenhouse and the greenhouse was a bus. So our kitchen became the new greenhouse. And so she planted all these little seeds and all these little cups. 
And for a few days and a few weeks even, these little seeds and all these little cups did nothing. And then what happened? Those little seeds that were taken care of and watered, nourished, given light, they began to sprout. And then those seeds got put into the ground, uh, or those little plants got put into the ground. And those, now those little plants turned into big plants. And some of these tomato plants are over my head, and they are bearing fruit for us. And I want you to understand that when Jesus plants a seed of faith in our heart, that, that true seed of faith, the kind of faith that saves, that seed of faith will begin to bear fruit in your life. Jesus even tells a parable about it. He says, you will know a tree by its what? By its fruit. He says, you can't get good fruit off a bad tree. You can't get bad fruit off of a good tree. You can't pick figs from thorn bushes. And you can't pick grapes from thistles. You can't do it. It's impossible. Good fruit, good seed, good trees, good plants. You get the point. And today I want to talk about that based on Zacchaeus' life. I have fallen again in love with the story of Zacchaeus. A lot of times we look at the story of Zacchaeus and go, that's a kid's story. What well, is a beautiful kid's story. And I'm so thankful for these little children that just sang. How many of you knew that song? You knew that song? I remember becoming a youth pastor in Louisiana, and uh, I was talking to one of my youth, and she said, you know that song about Zacchaeus was, we little man, we little man was he? I said, I never heard that song before. I, didn't, I wasn't raised in a church. I wasn't raised in a Christian home where we sang those songs. And so I'm a youth pastor following my youth learning the Zacchaeus song, okay? So I'm, I'm just about a decade or so old in the Zacchaeus song, but I'm learning, I'm coming along. But here's what I want you to see in today's passage. First, I want you to see a divine encounter. Second, I want you to see the kind of fruit that faith produces, the fruit of faith. And third, we're going to take a look at Jesus' heart, a glimpse at Jesus' heart. Okay, so let's look at the divine encounter. Are you with me, amen? amen. Okay, a divine encounter. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Now, he wasn't just a, a regular tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. Whereas the rest of the tax collectors were getting kind of rich off of some embezzlement and taking from those who it didn't belong to, or, or taking uh, what didn't belong to him from those who it belonged to, robbing the poor to give to Rome. Uh, this man was becoming very rich. He was becoming very profitable. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. I want you to understand something out of the passage today. There is a divine encounter in this passage. It is divine because Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus and Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. It is no accident that the two happen in this story. It is no accident that there is a divine encounter here. I want you to understand that in our lives, as we seek Jesus, Jesus is seeking us. I want you to understand today that if you have not trusted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, He is preparing for you a divine encounter with the very real, uh, altogether Holy Son of God, Jesus Christ. He wants you to have a divine encounter and experience with Jesus that will alter your life forever, just like it did Zacchaeus's. Now, some of you 
uh, you have been following Jesus for a long time. And like me, maybe you have gotten stale in your relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, Jesus wants your heart again too. Sometimes we think that Zacchaeus is all about the lost person. And there are two groups of people that I want to talk to in this room. Those who do not have Jesus and need him, and those who have Jesus, but maybe have just fallen into a state of complacency or apathy or staleness or calloused heart or hardness or whatever it might be, wherever you find yourself, where Jesus isn't as beautiful as he once was in your life. And wherever you stand, Jesus is preparing a divine encounter for you to be transformed forever. How do we see that in this passage? I want you to look at verse 4. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree, a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, Mr. James, I want you to move forward. There is a picture in uh, the slideshow of a sycamore tree. Now, many of us often think of, when we think of a sycamore tree, the American sycamore tree. The American sycamore tree uh, can be upwards of 100 feet tall. It's tall and slender, and it puts out big branches up top, way up high. And so it's hard to climb. And you say, man, Zacchaeus uh, must have been very agile to climb our American sycamore tree. But that's not exactly the case. Now, the case of the sycamore tree in Israel is a completely different kind of sycamore tree shown up here on the screen. It might be a little hard to see, but what the, the Jewish sycamore tree is compared to the American sycamore tree, the Jewish sycamore tree is lower. It's sprawling. Its branches are low to the ground. And this tree, this very tree, might even be the, 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 the sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed in Jericho. This one, this is a picture uh, from Jericho. And so you see how low it is. Now, how many of you guys, like me when I was a kid, and, and even still today, you like climbing trees? Anybody out there? It's okay to fess up. I love it. Miss Mary Ann's like, I like climbing trees. Amen. Just don't fall out, right? Um, so this is the kind of tree that would have gotten Zacchaeus' feet about head level. Okay, we're not talking 30, 40, 50 feet up in the ground where Jesus is looking up into the tree going, I think you're up there, come down. This is, the branches are low and sprawling. Zacchaeus could have shimmied up one of those things, kind of hung on or sat on a branch, and he would have had the perfect view at Jesus. Now, here's what's special to me, and as I was preparing this week, what's special, what God said to me this week was just so powerful. I want you to understand, and I want you to just think through this thought that God loved Zacchaeus so very much that before Zacchaeus was born, God planted a sycamore tree in Jericho. Isn't that an awesome thought? God, God, God doesn't work like we do. We work on a linear timeline from start to finish. God doesn't work like that. God was thinking about Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus is born. And as, uh, born and as, as God is creating and as God is building and, and, and tending his earth, he said, you know what? There needs to be a tree right here. You want to know why? Because one day, 
As I'm working in Zacchaeus' heart, I'm going to stir up his heart. I'm going to stir up his life so that he's going to long for me and seek me. And when he does, he's going to have the opportunity to see me because I'm, I love him so much that I'm going to plant a tree for him to climb to see me. And that thought just blows me away that God planted a sycamore tree just for Zacchaeus to climb. Sure, it was beautiful, but it was so that he could see Jesus. I want you to see another part of this divine encounter. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I want you to hear that, that Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. Have you ever thought about that? Do you think Jesus and Zacchaeus had been in the same circles before? I don't know. But what I know from this story is that Jesus planted, or there was a tree planted for Zacchaeus, and when Jesus, the Son of God, creator of the world, got to that very tree, and there was a man in the tree looking out to see Jesus, what we see is that the creator of the universe, the God of all glory, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah incarnate, looked up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus. That is a divine encounter. What I mean by that today is that he knows your name too. He knows who you are. He loves you dearly. He loves you so much that he is preparing a way for you to have a divine encounter with the Son of God and Savior of the world. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is the fruit of faith. The fruit of faith. Now, in the fruit of faith, I see four fruits of true saving faith in Zacchaeus' life from this text. Now, I want you to go into the Word with me. Mr. James, would you put up point number two? Keep going. Keep going there, brother. Keep going. One more. Keep going. And there we go. The fruit of faith. That's where we are, Mr. James. The fruit of faith. So there are three or four fruits of faith that we see. The first one is found in verse 3, that he, Zacchaeus, desired to see Jesus. What is a fruit of faith in Zacchaeus' life? That he wanted to see Jesus. What is a fruit of faith in your life and in my life that we want to see Jesus? I want you to look down in verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. This is exactly what he's doing. How do you know that Jesus has done something in your heart, in your life? First, here it is. You can't get enough of Jesus. You can't get enough of Jesus. Now, can I just confess? That's not where my heart is right now. My heart, Ryan's heart. God, God wrote this sermon for me. God gave me this text for me. And you just get to be a beneficiary of what God said to me all week. That I, I have found myself getting discontented with Jesus. In the season that I'm in, it seems as though I can, in fact, get enough of Jesus. I don't want him more. How many of you remember when you were first dating your now spouse? You, man, I remember when Liz and I started dating. 
I had a lot of hair back then. It was glorious. Um, we, we met in Highlands, North Carolina, and we were working at the same country club, and we started dating about a year later after meeting one another, and we met, you've been to Highlands, there's the center row of parking down Main Street, you know what I'm saying, amen? Okay, we, we stood out there in the center row of um, Highlands, North Carolina, and we started talking, how you doing? And I, that was her voice, not mine. Uh, I, just, I just remember us, um, I think I asked for her phone number. I, I think I invited her on a date. And I remember as we started dating, I just couldn't get enough of her. I, every time I saw her and I left her, I wanted to be in her presence more. I just couldn't see her enough. Do you remember those days? I hope you had those days in your relationship. If not, uh, there are some people here who love you and will do marriage counseling later. But I just remember that I, I was just thinking about being with her more. And I just feel like sometimes in my Christian life, I've stopped trying to find trees to climb to see Jesus. I've just, my relationship with him has gotten stale. Have you noticed maybe that happened in your marriage too? It just got a little stale. Do you remember when you started dating, all the, the crazy things that love caused you to do? And somehow, some way, you put a ring on it, on the finger, and, and sooner or later, all of those things just kind of fade away into the past. And sometimes a relationship can get stale. And I don't know about you, but I've found that I've stopped trying to find trees to climb in my life to get another glimpse at Jesus. And I want to challenge you today that if that's where you are, that your relationship with Christ is just stale. It's like a few day old bread that's been sitting on the counter. It's a little hard, a little crusty. And maybe your heart's a little hard, a little crusty. And I just want to encourage you today that there is hope. There is refreshment, as, as it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 20, that comes from the presence of the Lord. There is a tree that you need to climb, that you and I need to climb to get in the presence of Jesus, to just get another glimpse of Him. Has God's Word become less desirable in your life? Has prayer become distracted in your life? Has Jesus maybe even become a little less beautiful? Not that He's changed, but that my desires have changed. Maybe you say, I just want it back. I just want what I had back. I want to challenge you today that if that's where you find yourself, find a tree and climb it. Say, God, I just want to see you. Psalm 27 says, one thing I ask and that do I seek that I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever to gaze upon your beauty. Do you know what would fix a lot of the callousness in my heart and the crustiness of my heart? It's just beholding him once again. Every person in the scripture that beheld Jesus walked away radically changed. When their eyes caught the eyes of their Savior, they fell on their face and worshipped, and they were transformed. Do you know what? 
Some of us, we just need to get alone with God, beg Him and say, I want to know you, I want to see you, I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. The second thing I see is uh, joyful reception. Joyful reception. Look at verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So Jesus walks up to the tree that he planted, sees Zacchaeus up in the top of it, and says, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I, I love this, I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. And so he hops down out of the tree and with joy in his heart receives the Savior into his home. Can you imagine why Zacchaeus was filled with such great joy? How many offers like this from the religious type had Zacchaeus gotten lately? None. Those who loved God shunned him for his job. For who he had become. For how his job had caused him to turn his back on his very people and become a traitor to Israel. So this day, of all the people in the crowd that Jesus could have chosen, Jesus comes maybe to one of the most hated people in the entire crowd and says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Jesus invited himself over and Zacchaeus was overjoyed. How many of you you, you've had somebody invite themselves over to your house. Were you filled with joy? No. How many of you, you, you had family and friends come into town and they stayed and then there was a moment that was like, all right, you guys are overstaying, you're welcome. Amen, somebody? I remember, I remember being, being in, in ministry with students People, students were always at our house. Always at our house. I loved it and hated it. Uh, they broke pieces of furniture that I did not know could be broken in our house. But week two in the house that Liz and I, our first house that we bought, they broke the swing set in the backyard. We didn't even have kids yet. They broke it. My kids never got to enjoy that swing set. And that day they had overstayed their welcome. They invited themselves over. And they overstayed their welcome, but not, not this day. Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' life, into his home, to his table. And he was not overwhelmed, but he was overjoyed. He was overjoyed. Staying in this culture, staying with someone and eating with someone, was a sign of acceptance, a sign of friendship. And it meant that I, we are together and that's exactly what Jesus was communicating to Zacchaeus. I accept you though no one else does. Everyone else sees your sin and I see your desire to see me. I see that you're dissatisfied with the life that you're living and you're wanting to know God, but you don't know how to get out of it. I see that. I love you and I accept you. That does not mean that Jesus accepted his sin or agreed with his sin, but in spite of his sin, Jesus loved him so much 
to come into his house. Jesus is saying, I'm coming to stay with you. I want you to know, Zacchaeus, that you are loved by God, you are accepted by God, and your past sins do not hinder my love. You are, you in your sinful state are exactly why I came today. Sometimes we think, man, if Jesus knew all about my sins, there's no way he could love me. And I just want to remind you today that your sins, your decrepit state before Jesus are exactly why he came. Your sins don't make him, his love languish away. Your sins make his love overwhelm toward you. I remember in the book of Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears and answers and opens to me, I will come in and dine with him. And he with me. Jesus came to knock on the heart's door so that you might open that door, that he would come in and eat with you, feast with you, that you would feast at the very table of the Lord. There was joy in this house. I want you to, sometimes, sometimes we detach our emotions from our salvation. And we make salvation a matter of intellectual agreement with the set of doctrine. And that's not exactly what salvation is intended to be. It's intended to be a divine encounter with our Creator and a, and a Redeemer, our Redeemer. I want you to know, I've never seen Jesus come into somebody's life and joy not be experienced. Every time in the Scriptures Jesus invades a home or a place, what happens? There is praise, there is worship, there is joy, there is celebration. Have you lost your joy in Jesus? It's easy to do. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Are you missing out on the joy? Have you lost the joy that Christ brings when He comes into your home? I just want to encourage you Invite him in. In his presence there is fullness of joy. How much joy? The fullest amount. The fullest measure of joy is found in his very presence. Three, a re reordered heart. So we have, we have this idea of a desire to see Jesus, uh, um, a joyful reception, a reordered heart. In this story, what we see is a man who used to find his self-worth in money, come in contact with Jesus, receive an acceptance in a, a relationship that money could not buy, and get a new identity and gain an eternal treasure. All of the treasures of the world lost their sparkle and appeal when compared to Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God. Look at what verse 8, verse 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You see a guy whose life used to revolve around money, now just throwing money out to the door. What does that? Jesus does. 
Jesus is the only one that can change a heart and reorder the loves of our heart. Has God ever done that in your life? Do you remember a time where this is what you loved, this is what you sought after, and then when Jesus entered, that thing that used to matter so much to you just stopped being as important as it was? Has that happened? It's called a reordered heart. That's what Jesus came to do. Everything that once mattered is now being given away. That's true in my life. That's true in Paul's life. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, this is what it says. But whatever gain I had, Paul says, I, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says, everything that in my past life, before Jesus entered, everything that I, I loved, and gained, I now count as lost. Why? Because there is something of such a surpassing value that makes all other trinkets and treasures pale in comparison to the glory revealed to us. That's what Jesus came to do, to show you what is earthly and and temporary and what is heavenly and eternal. To show you that, that you might see it and that you might no longer long for these things and want Him. Psalm 119, this one just hit me. Psalm 119 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. And, And this is what we see. We see anybody that comes in contact with Jesus, the things that I used to love, I now no longer love as much. Why? Because there is a love that I have experienced in this divine encounter that trumps all loves known to man. The experience that Zacchaeus had with Jesus' love and grace caused him to see all that he was hoping in, in, in hoping for in money, could now be found in Jesus. Joy, pleasure, acceptance, friendship. All these things that money could maybe have brought him, he now found in the Savior Jesus Christ. He had a joy like no other. He had a new identity. He had a relationship with the King of glory. All Zacchaeus could ever want... All his longings were now satisfied in Christ. The problem was that money promises a lot and never comes through. You always need more when it comes to money. What Zacchaeus couldn't find in a life spent on money, he found in an instant in a divine encounter with Jesus. And as his heart was changed, his loves were reordered. I just want to challenge you. Is your heart longing for something? And are you searching to fulfill that longing in the things of the world? If that's you today, I want to encourage you stop looking to the world for something that only Jesus can give you. You do have a Jesus or a God-sized hole in your heart that until you find rest and peace and acceptance in Him, you will always be longing for something. The last fruit is a transformed life. I'm going to be short on this one. A transformed life. Zacchaeus' actions got flipped on their head. 
they got flipped on their head. What did Zacchaeus used to do? He used to take from the poor. Now what's he doing? Look in verse uh, 8. Behold, Lord, I give half of my goods I give to the poor. He used to take from the poor, now he's giving to the poor. He also used to take more than he was authorized to take. That's how he got rich. The more he took, the more he had. He used to take more than he was authorized, now he is giving four times back. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can transform a life in that way. The third thing I want you to see in this passage today is just a glimpse at the Savior's heart, at Jesus' heart. Look at verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come into this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Don't misunderstand the point of the story. The point of the story is not if you give half of your stuff to the poor, and if you restore what you've defrauded fourfold, that you will be saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, I know salvation has come, not by doing these things, but because He is doing these things, I can see the salvation that, I, that He has received, the salvation that I've given Him. I want you to understand that God expects of us good deeds. He expects of us righteousness. But we work not for salvation, but from salvation. I do not act righteously or act good because I could be saved maybe one day, but since I am saved by grace through faith. He says, this is the son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. The entire purpose of Jesus is coming into the world, loving, healing, teaching, miracles, living sinlessly, dying for sinners, is to seek and save the lost. How did he seek, or how did, how did Jesus make this tax collector a son of Abraham? How did Jesus save the lost sheep of the house of Israel? The cross. On the cross, Jesus saved the lost sheep by becoming the sacrificial lamb. Maybe you're like a sheep that's gone astray. You've turned aside each one to your own way. Maybe your iniquities are piled above your head and you say, I don't know what to do. I just want you to know that Jesus did everything necessary to save you. He came to a cross as the sacrificial substitute. He died in your place. I want you to understand that you can have salvation not by doing good deeds, but because of one singular action that Jesus accomplished on behalf of everyone who would trust Him. Jesus is the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. How did, how did Jesus make Zacchaeus a son of God? How did He do that? Because on the cross, do you remember what Jesus said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very God the Father forsook God the Son so that He might make us children. The Son of God was forsaken so that we might be brought in and be made children. Today, if you don't have any surety or assurance that you are going to heaven when you die or you're forgiven of your sin or you have a relationship with God, I want you to stop trusting in your righteousness and start trusting in the cross of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. We need a Savior too. Our sins have separated us from the Father, just like Zacchaeus's. 
whether they're outward like Zacchaeus's were, everybody saw him and everybody hated him. I want you to understand that our sins are hated by God, but he loves us so much that he came to make a remedy for the separation that our sins caused. And that remedy is a cross. And as I close, I just want to talk to the church for a minute. So you might be in here and you say, I'm lost. I don't have any certainty that I'm going to heaven or that I'm, I'm forgiven or my sins and my, my debt has been paid. Trust in Jesus. Now let me talk to the church for just a second. Have we lost this heart? Jesus' heart for the lost? He says, he came to seek and save that which is lost. Do you understand that he sent us on the same very mission that he came for? That is, should be our mission. That should be our heart. Have we lost our heart for the lost? Isn't it funny in the world that we live in, and as easy it is as it is to notice lostness in our world, it's harder to look inside of us and admit that maybe we have lost our way? Not that the saved have lost their salvation, but the saved have lost their heart for the lost. It's easy to look at our world like maybe a bunch of the religious leaders looked at Zacchaeus and said, he's beyond repair. There's no hope for a guy like Zacchaeus and said, Jesus said, that's exactly the guy I came for. I came to Jericho and planted a sycamore tree so that Zacchaeus would be saved. I have lost Jesus' heart for the Zacchaeuses of the world. I'm convicted of that this week. I just want to get back. And the only way I know to get back is to find a tree to climb and behold Jesus. Just to lay my eyes on Jesus through his word, through prayer, through worship, to, to lay my eyes on Jesus, to dwell with him, to abide in the vine and dwell with Jesus. I just want to behold him because, man, I have lost Jesus's heart for the Zacchaeuses of the world. And I want you to know there is a world full of Zacchaeuses and the only hope that they have is that those who were lost, who have now been found, would tell somebody else where to find Jesus. Gosh, our world needs hope. And it can only come when you and I accept the call to be like Jesus, to, that he came to seek and save that which is lost, to say, that is my purpose too. If that was my Savior's purpose, that is my purpose. Let's reignite the mission of God in our hearts. As we close today, two people, two groups of people, those who need Jesus and those who know Jesus. And if you need Jesus, trust him. See that you're Zacchaeus in the story and that Jesus can save you too. And if you know Jesus... Maybe you find yourself crusty. Maybe it's time to just climb a tree. Behold Jesus. Repent of your sin and run back. Let's pray.
Father, we love you. We need you. Help us. Sometimes we need a fresh reminder. Just like Miss Lara taught our children all week that we need love, we need a Savior. Remind us that we need a Savior and that, Father, once we're saved, you have created us with a purpose to be on mission with you. Reignite a passion, a zeal for Jesus in our hearts. We might run and find that tree to climb to see him. Oh God, I just confess. That I've given joy away at times. I've neglected the mission. And that I need Jesus. To grow inside of me once again the fruit of faith. Help us, Lord, to be transformed through your word by your spirit. To look differently than ever before. We need you. We love you. Pray in Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. So I think we're, Miss Laura's going to.